Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, talking about book five, chapter 11. Why do you think Andre showed such disinterest in Pierre until they started talking less about life and more about philosophy? I think it's because he's depressed. If you've ever been depressed, I'm sure we all have, um, and that specific type of depression that he has, it's like grieving. It's just impossible to be enthusiastic about anything, really. Um, it's impossible to be interested in anything. It's a horrible feeling, too. Um, the one thing that does tend to elicit some engagement from our brain in that state is that state itself or the grief itself or the subject of the depression. And so talking about philosophy for Andre is like talking about his own grief, which is the one thing that his mind is completely preoccupied with. That would be my best guess, my best attempt to um, unravel that one. What do you think about Andre's opinion versus Pierre's on the serfs? Who do you think is more right? Ripster 66 says, this chapter really gets into the meat of things, doesn't it? Look at how much has happened to these two since we first saw them together in book one. Andre has been chewed up by life a bit, and Pierre too, but on a very different way. I loved reading Pierre's description of how much Andre has changed, seeing it from his perspective as an old friend really drove home the change in Andre. I think these two bonded over philosophy in their younger days, and when the conversation turned to this familiar stomping ground, Andre was more engaged. Besides, hearing Pierre drone on about managing his newfound wealth was probably not so interesting to him. He's grown up with this stuff all around him. Well, Andre has a very aristocratic view of the serfs and their life, doesn't he? He seems to view them more like animals than as people. In a way, he envies them as only someone who has never done their work could. Because they are not beleaguered by deep philosophical issues, I found his view very jaded and entitled at the same time, while Pierre, while naive, is seeking to better better life for all people. Pierre may not go about it well, but his intentions are pure. Perhaps, having unexpectedly inherited his wealth, he may see himself with more in common with serfs than Andre does. Potentially, although don't misunderstand, he has become one of the wealthiest people in Russia at a very wealthy time for Russia. So I think there's people are struggling to get their head around this, but like, think of like, you know, the richest people today. He's just inherited, you know, Elon Musk's fortune, put it that way. You know, he's richer than. Uh, he might not be royalty, but he's richer than a lot of royalty. Does that make sense? Um, I think we're not really managing to wrap our heads around that. Because, I mean, I guess it's possible to lose any fortune. But there's a lot of talk of him losing his fortune. And I think, um, I don't know, it makes me wonder if, are we all really picturing this quite correctly? He's uber-wealthy. Um, not to mention, by the way, oh yeah, the point of me saying that, sorry, my brain is not on track. Um, The reason I say this is because 
he's no stranger to wealth. Just because he's now this wealthy, he was already upper class before he inherited that wealth. You know, he was already, you know, in the upper crust. He was already an aristocrat. (laughs) So um, his newfound wealth, I don't think, has really done much for him in terms of like, you know, being able to afford guilty pleasures, that kind of thing. He was always, well, he was a bit of a, a bit of a, um, what's the word? A rascal. (laughs) He's always a bit of a rascal. Um, He was never wanting for money, I don't think. Now he's just in control of a very vast fortune. Anyway, what am I saying? Sorry, my brain is uh, all over the shop at the moment. Struggling to string words together. Pythagorean Bean says this. I like these chapters, the ideological discussions between characters just like the brothers Karamazov. And though I'm not a fan of Andre's views in this chapter in general, there is one area that stuck out to me more than the rest. You've only found any happiness since you started living for other people. While my experience has been the other way around, I used to live for glory. And what is glory? It's the same love for other people wanting to do something for them, wanting praise from them. In that kind of a way, I lived to li- I used to live for other people. Hey, Andre, that's about as narcissistic as you can be, pal, says Pythagorean Bean. You're, talking, you're taking Andre's point of finding purpose through serving others and contorting it to seem like your search for glory was in any way comparable to Pierre, improving the peasant's way of life. Yeah, he's really uh, bending the truth there a little bit, isn't he? I think... I can you can kind of see his point. Like he wanted to seek glory through serving, so he wanted to achieve glory um, organically. You know, he didn't. He wasn't seeking to like steal valor or anything like that. He wanted to genuinely deserve the praise he got. And so, in a way, yeah, he did want to do good things for other people. But at the core of that was, I think. Was it really to do the good deed or to get the glory? I think it was more to get the glory. Now we're going to read uh, chapter 12. And by the way, um, I've opened up the discussion from last year for chapter 12, which I do at the start of every podcast. I open up um, the next chapter's discussion just to get ready to um, create the post for the next chapter. And I usually don't read any comments, but I accidentally read the first line of the first comment and it got me excited to read this chapter because Pizzasaurus Rex said, this chapter was astonishingly beautiful to say the least. Uh, and that's all I read of the comment. But doesn't that get you excited to read chapter 12? Because I'm now expecting something to be at least astonishingly beautiful. So let's see. Let's see what happens. Chapter 12 goes like this. In the evening, André and Pierre got into the open carriage and drove to Bald Hills. Prince André, glancing at Pierre, broke the silence now and then with remarks which showed that he was in a good temper. Pointing to the fields, he spoke of the improvements he was making in his husbandry. Pierre remained gloomily silent, answering in monosyllables and apparently immersed in his own thoughts. He was thinking that Prince André was unhappy had gone astray, did not see the true light, and that he, Pierre, ought to aid, enlighten and raise him. But as soon as he thought of what he should say, he felt that Prince André, with one word, one argument, would upset all his teaching, and he shrank 
from beginning, afraid of exposing to possible ridicule what to him was precious and sacred. No, but why do you think so? Pierre suddenly began, lowering his head and looking like a bull about to charge. Why do you think so? You should not think so. Think? About what? asked Prince André with surprise. About life, about man's destiny. It can't be so. I myself thought like that. And do you know what saved me? Freemasonry. No, don't smile. Freemasonry is not a religious ceremonial sect, as I thought it was. Freemasonry is the best expression of the best, the eternal aspects of humanity. And he began to explain Freemasonry, as he understood it, to Prince André. He said that Freemasonry is the teaching of Christianity, freed from the bonds of state and church, a teaching of equality, brotherhood, and love. Our only, sorry, only our holy brotherhood has the real meaning of life. All the rest is a dream, said Pierre. Understand, my dear fellow, that outside this union, all is filled with deceit and falsehood. And I agree with you that nothing is left for an intelligent and good man but to live out his life like you, merely trying not to harm others. But make our fundamental convictions your own, join our brotherhood, give yourself up to us, let yourself be guided, and you will at once feel yourself, as I have felt myself, a part of that vast, invisible chain, the beginning of which is hidden in heaven, said Pierre. Prince André, looking straight in front of him, listened in silence to Pierre's words. More than once, when the noise of the wheels prevented his catching what Pierre said, he asked him to repeat it, and by the peculiar glow that came into Prince André's eyes, and by his silence, Pierre saw that his words were not in vain, and that Prince André would not interrupt him or laugh at what he said. They reached a river that had overflowed its banks, and which they had to cross by ferry, while the carriage and horses were being placed on it, they also stepped on the raft. Prince André, leaning his arms on the raft railing, gazed silently at the flooding waters glittering in the setting sun. Well, what do you think about it? Pierre asked. Why are you silent? What do I think about it? Well, I'm listening to you. It's all very well. You say, join our brotherhood and we will show you the aim of life, the destiny of man and the laws which govern the world, but who are we, men? How is it you know everything? Why do I alone not see what you see? You see a reign of goodness and truth on earth, but I don't see it. Pierre interrupted him. Do you believe in a future life? he asked. A future life? Prince André repeated. But Pierre, giving him no time to reply, took the repetition for a denial, the more readily as he knew Prince André's former atheistic convictions. You say you can't see a reign of goodness and truth on earth. Nor could I, and I cannot be seen if one looks on our life here as the end of everything, on earth, here on this earth, Pierre pointed to the fields, there is no truth. All is false and evil, but in the universe, in the whole universe, there is a kingdom of truth, and we, who are now the children of earth, <coughs> oh, excuse me, are eternally children of the whole universe. Don't I feel in my soul that I am part of this vast, harmonious whole? Don't I feel that I form one link, one step between the lower and higher beings in this vast, harmonious multitude of beings in whom the deity, the supreme power, if you prefer the term, 
is manifest, if I see, clearly see, the ladder leading from plant to man, why should I suppose it breaks off at me and does not go farther and farther? I feel that I cannot vanish, since nothing vanishes in this world, but that I shall always exist and always have existed. I feel that beyond me and above me there are spirits and that in this world there is truth. Yes, that is Herder's theory, said Prince Andre, but it is not that which can convince me, dear friend. Life and death are what convince. What convinces is one is when one sees a being dear to one, bound up with one's own life, before whom one was to blame and had hoped to make it right. Prince Andre's voice trembled and he turned away, and suddenly that being is seized with pain, suffers and ceases to exist. Why? It cannot be that there is no answer, and I believe there is. That's what convinces. That is what has convinced me, said Prince Andre. Yes, yes, of course, said Pierre. Isn't that what I'm saying? No. All I say, that is, there is not argument that convinces me of the necessity of a future life, but this, when you go hand in hand with someone, and all at once that person vanishes there into nowhere, and you yourself are left facing that abyss and look in, and I have looked in. Well, that's it then. You know that there is a there, and there is a someone. There is the future life. The someone is God. Prince Andre did not reply. The carriage and horses had long since been taken off onto the farther bank and re-harnessed. The sun had sunk half below the horizon and an evening frost was sta starring the puddles near the ferry. But Pierre and Andre, to the astonishment of the footmen, coachmen and ferrymen, still stood on the raft and talked. If there is a God and a future life, there is truth and good, and man's highest happiness consists in striving to attain them. We must live, we must love, and we must believe that we live not only today on this scrap of earth, but have lived and shall live forever there in the whole, said Pierre, and he pointed to the sky. Prince André stood leaning on the railing of, of the raft, listening to Pierre, and he gazed with his eyes fixed on the red reflection of the sun gleaming on the blue waters. There was perfect stillness. Pierre became silent. The raft had long since stopped, and only the waves of the current beat softly against it below. Prince André felt as if the sound of the waves kept up a refrain to Pierre's words, whispering, It is true, believe it. He sighed and glanced with a radiant, childlike, tender look at Pierre's face, flushed and rapturous, but yet shy before his superior friend. Yes, if it only were so, said Prince André. However, it is time to get on, he added. And stepping off the raft, he looked up at the sky to which Pierre had pointed, and for the first time since Austerlitz saw that high, everlasting sky he had seen while lying on that battlefield. And something that had long been slumbering, something that was best within him, suddenly awoke, joyful and youthful in his soul. It vanished as soon as he returned to the customary conditions of his life, but he knew that this feeling, which he did not know how to develop, existed within him. His meeting with Pierre formed an epoch in Prince André's life, though outwardly he continued to live in the same old way, inwardly he began a new life. Well, inwardly he began a new life. What a hell of a way to end a uh, chapter. All right, have your say about that one over on the subreddit. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.